we'll learn together how to effectively tackle anti-Semitism, what it actually is, how to recognize it, and what to do about it. Hey there, J. Crew. So look, it's August. It's getting hot out there. Stephanie's at home with her adorable baby, Edith Isadora. And Mark and me, well, our kids are older and, you know, still adorable, but that means we need to take them somewhere to a beach to relax for a few days. So we were going to take this week off. But then we learned about a new project that excited us so much that we said, you know what? Forget the week off. We'll, we'll just we'll just take a little bit more time and be here with you because we want you to know about this. I have a feeling that this is something a lot of you are going to absolutely love. And so it is my pleasure to welcome to the show our friend and colleague at Tablet Magazine, uh, the person who, if you're on Twitter, you may know as the mayor of Twitter and the defender of all things Jewish on social media. Hello, Yaya Rosenberg. Hello, Liel. Before we, we even get to your new project, which is an amazing series of videos explaining anti-Semitism, we'll talk a lot more about this. I have to ask you a question. You know, I've, I've seen you live. I've seen you do your thing. And, and it seems to me, when I imagine what life is like for you, I imagine it's a series of travels from one college group to another, from one town to the next, basically talking about anti-Semitism. First of all, is it accurate? And second of all, aren't you tired of being in, in these particular waters day in, day out? Yeah, well, well, this video series is my retirement plan because if it succeeds, <laughs> I no longer need to be there. I replace myself with my digital equivalent. And like the rest of us, I go into obsolescence because I am no longer needed having been replaced with an internet product. This is the anti-Semitic singularity plan, in other words. Yeah, so support my, my comfortable retirement by watching these videos. So look, on, on a serious note, uh, anti-Semitism is, is clearly a, a problem that is tragically on the rise. We'll, we'll talk a little bit about that in a minute. But it seems to me that there's something kind of almost crazily audacious just about the concept of, of a series like this, saying like, yes, well, I'm going to explain this phenomenon that has been with us since time immemorial, and I'm going to do it in a series of videos on YouTube that will be fun to watch. How do you even begin to conceive of a project like this? Well, when I was approached to make this series, I thought similarly, and I said, you know, there's no way that I could possibly tackle questions like, is criticism of Israel anti-Semitic in a video clip? Which is, it cannot be done. You can't honestly say you'll, you will satisfy everyone with that kind of conversation. Then I thought about it some more, and I realized that although you might not be able to settle the conversations, you could definitely help people have better conversations. Because the ones we have about anti-Semitism now, I think, I'm not telling a secret, are pretty broken. They're very politicized. They're very partisan. There's a lot of bad faith. And there's a lot of confusion. Give us a little taste of what it sounds like when we're having the bad kind, the wrong kind of conversation surrounding anti-Semitism. The wrong kind of conversation about anti-Semitism is one where it's the perpetual sin of other people. People are exceptionally attuned to uncovering the latent anti-Semitism of their, say, political, religious, or ideological opponents. And then they're extraordinarily blind when it comes to any sort of anti-Semitic infraction that happens among their friends and allies. And this, this is very understandable from a perspective of human nature, which is that it's a lot easier to say, hey, that person over there who I and all my friends already hate for a lot of other reasons is also an anti-Semite. It's a lot harder to have that conversation with your friends. It's a hard conversation. Most people don't want to have it. In practice, though, and we animate this in a rather funny way in the video, what we get is people trying to bounce anti-Semites from parties they weren't invited to. So it's like, you know, Democrats crash Republican events and say, well, you need to deal with 
you know, the white supremacists and the alt-right and the uh, various anti-Semitic figures on your side of the political spectrum who are infecting your party. And then conservatives go and they, you know, crash progressive organizations and they say, well, you need to deal with these uh, critics of Israel who end up lapsing into anti-Semitism in their extreme vitriolic criticism of the Jewish state. And guess what? None of those people are successful because nobody takes them seriously within the communities they're trying to police. And so the videos are trying to, you know, model a different kind of conversation, which said, what if we made this a conversation about principle instead of partisanship? And we set some ground rules that we can all largely agree upon about anti-Semitism. And then we apply those equally and fairly to all communities. That is an unbelievably noble, inspiring, exasperating, impossible task to do. But since since you set yourself up for this, I'm going to go ahead, be uncharitable and, and ask you to go ahead and provide some kind of operative definition uh, from which we could all begin to negotiate or to discuss anti-Semitism. In other words, if, if you say, OK, well, look, here are the ground rules. Give us one or two ground rules for this discussion. Let's see if I can remember all of them. But after doing the series, I tried to distill them into uh, some basic core principles that people could apply to have a better discussion about anti-Semitism. One would be focus on the 90%, 85% of anti-Semitism that most of us can agree on rather than the 10 to 15% we can't. You may notice that on social media, people constantly are arguing about the exact same very narrow slice of anti-Semitism. And that makes it look like there's no agreement on anything when it comes to this issue. But actually, in my experience, most of us agree on a lot of stuff, including the thorny stuff like criticism of Israel. Like People might have very strong opinions about Israel and anti-Semitism. Most people can agree that if you vandalize uh, you know, Brooklyn synagogue with anti-Israel graffiti, right? You're an anti-Semite, just like if you vandalize a Brooklyn mosque with some sort of graffiti about uh, actions of actors in the Middle East, you're a bigot. And so you actually have points of consensus and focusing on those points of consensus rather than always, always talk about the 10 to 15% that social media wants us to argue about can be really practical uh, because if there's 85% less anti-Semitism, that is a huge win. And then we can continue arguing about the other 15. I've written many articles about the other 15. That's very important. But we're not going to, if we spend all our time talking about that, we're not actually going to make a real dent in the problem. That's one. Two is something I said before, which is when you're trying to fight anti-Semitism, base it in principle rather than partisanship, which means in practice, uh, say, here's a list of things that we agree that are anti-Semitic ideas, like calling Jews satanic. And it doesn't matter if it's Louis Farrakhan doing it or Robert Bowers, the guy who shot up the Pittsburgh synagogue. By the way, they both did it. Right. You can actually find a lot of these ideas, or as we call them, anti-Semitic tropes. They, they transcend boundaries and borders. And if we teach people at a young age to recognize what they are and then call them out no matter who's saying them, we'll make a much bigger dent than if people start basically don't really care about the ideas. They care about the identity of the individuals involved. Those are two of the principles. And if you watch the video, I think you'll, you'll find a couple more. So uh, we, we have the privilege of playing a large snippet from the first video. I have to tell anyone who's listening that even though it sounds great, it looks even better and you really want to go back and watch these videos. But before we even go there, I want to give a little bit of a taste. So one of the questions that you ask in the series, I mean, there, there are a bunch of them and they're all big, thorny issues like whose fault is anti-Semitism or can Jews be anti-Semitic? But the one that I kind of want to pause and focus a little bit more on is something that you brought up a few times in, in this year conversation, which is the question of, is criticizing Israel anti-Semitic? So I totally get what you just said that, yes, if you vandalize a synagogue in Brooklyn because you, quote unquote, object to some Israeli policy, yes, you're definitely anti-Semitic. But a lot of us seem to be stuck in this 
vicious cycle of conversation of trying to figure out just what may or may not pass for anti-Semitism in Israel-related criticism, particularly, you know, whether or not saying that you are anti-Zionist, that you do not support Israel's right to exist as an independent Jewish state, can be considered as anti-Semitism, or is it just legitimate political commentary? We could go on and on, but I'm, I'm really curious to hear to hear your take on this particular thorny issue. So the video itself, that video is actually the longest video, and it doesn't even scratch the surface of the question. What I hope is that it helps people raise the floor of the level of discussion. That's my modest hope for that video, because I recognize there's no way you could possibly solve it in that amount of time. The video focuses, as I said, on things that we could sort of, I think, consensus agree upon, which I think there are more of those things than people realize. I think that, for example, is anti-Zionism anti-Semitism? I have addressed this at length in other contexts and speaking events and writing. It would have been itself just its own 20-minute video to give you a sense of what this sort of video is trying to accomplish. But like, if I had to give you a nutshell about what the Israel video is trying to explain to people, it's that it's perfectly legitimate to criticize Israel. But when you put half the world's Jews into a single state, that state's naturally going to attract the attention of the millions and millions of people in the world who hate Jews and want them to disappear. And so you have this uh, vicious paradox, which is that you have a state which is deserving criticism like any other state. And then you have a discourse that is often corrupted or used to smuggle anti-Jewish ideas into the discourse under the cover of a perfectly legitimate enterprise, which is criticizing the state of Israel. And the goal of the video is to make people aware that those two things are going on at the same time and help them distinguish the good faith critics from the bad faith bigots. It's not going to settle all of those questions, but simply giving people the framework to think about it constructively, I think will help. Here's my final question, and I've, I've saved the hardest one for last. Uh, you, more than anyone I know, seem to be very successful at not just being online, but really trying to model a kind of behavior and conversation online that defies a lot of the worst that we see on, on Twitter and Facebook, etc. But I want you to be candid. We're right now in the Hebrew month of Elul, a time for a uh, soul searching. Do you really believe that videos such as yours or that any real discourse that we attempt on these deeply flawed platforms such as Twitter, such as YouTube, such as Facebook, do you really believe that out of the crooked timber of social media, something straight can be built? Can we actually have an honest conversation online, especially about something as huge and thorny and touchy as anti-Semitism. You're talking to someone who doesn't even have a personal Facebook account. And I only created a professional Facebook page in you know, 2016 as a concession for people who wanted to follow my coverage there. I have a tremendous suspicion of a lot of these platforms I always have. I think that's what makes me relatively good at using them because I am always worrying about what they're actually doing to my thinking and my way of living in the world. That being said, I think with a lot of extra effort, effort that a lot of us don't often have the energy to put in, they can be used for good things. It just takes more work. And that's why these videos took nine months to produce. It would take considerably less to write the sort of videos that I see all the time that I feel are part of the problem. To try to create something that can be part of the solution is a lot harder. But I think we can, and I know from experience that we can, because I hear from enough people who encounter things I write or other things that I produce on controversial subjects, not just about anti-Semitism in Israel, but about religion, about American politics, where they tell me that their views were changed or their minds were changed, or simply that they came to respect certain viewpoints or ideas that they didn't before, even if they still disagree with them. So I know that it can be done. And this series is my small way of doing that on a subject that I think is really important, which is anti-Jewish prejudice. And I don't think it's going to, as I said many times, I don't think it's going to solve the problem, but it might make our conversation about the problem a little bit better.
Amen. Selah, where do we go to educate and entertain ourselves and, and open up our minds and hearts? So we've created a simple, easier link for folks to remember. It's uh, Bitly. So it's bitly.com slash anti-Semitism explained. B-I-T-L-Y dot com slash anti-Semitism, capital A, explained, capital E. And so we are now going to play a snippet from the series. And again, to those listening, hearing is one thing, seeing is a whole new experience. I urge you to go and check out this important, and really, this does not go without seeing, but also, you know, immensely entertaining series. And Yair, thank you so much for being our guest and for the work that you do. Thank you for having me. As an ever-present minority, Jews have been perpetually scapegoated for the majority's problems. Constantly cast as untrustworthy and accused of serving their own interests at the expense of societies. In the biblical book of Esther, the villain Haman tells the king, there is a certain people dispersed among the peoples who keep themselves separate. Their customs are different from all other people and they do not obey the king's laws. It is not in the king's best interest to tolerate them. This 2000 year old expression of anti-Semitism could have been written yesterday. Take this recent broadcast by True News a right-wing Christian news outlet that was accredited by the Trump White House. That's the way the Jews work. They're de- they are deceivers. <laughs> they plot. They lie. They do whatever they have to do to accomplish their political agenda. Now listen to this 2015 interview with Jewish Senator Bernie Sanders by Diane Rehm on NPR, the polar opposite of true news. You'll recognize some familiar themes. Senator, you have dual citizenship with Israel. Well, well, no, I do not have dual citizenship with Israel. I'm an American. I don't know where that question came from. No, I'm an American citizen, period. Jews sought to escape their minority status by founding their own state, Israel. But now anti-Semites just accuse Jews everywhere, like Sanders, of disloyally working for Israel as part of a global conspiracy to control non-Jewish countries. These insinuations find their way from the internet into everyday interactions. Uh, Mr. Cardin um, looks like a regular white guy, nice guy, whatever, but in actuality, he's a Jewish white guy. And if the public was informed of that by C-SPAN, I think they would take his comments differently. Because this guy is Jewish, that means that he is concerned about Israel. Eric, I want to give the congressman a chance well, to I, respond I, to that. You know, I normally am pretty tolerant to people who ask questions, but I'm not to your, your assumption. I, I take great offense to that. This country, our loyalty is to America. Our concerns are to America. Anti-Semitism doesn't just impoverish Jewish people. It impoverishes anti-Jewish people. Historian Walter Russell Mead once pointed to exactly this phenomenon to explain why he writes so much about anti-Jewish prejudice. Quote, societies that tolerate anti-Semitism take a fateful step toward the loss of both freedom and prosperity. People who think the Jews run the banks lose the ability to understand, much less to operate financial systems. People who think the Jews dominate politics lose their ability to interpret political events, to diagnose social evils, and to organize effectively for positive change. People who think the Jews run the media and control the news lose the ability to grasp what is happening around them. What happens is is that conspiracies divert people from actually solving real issues by distracting them with fantasies. And the most uh, exciting fantasy 
is one where people get to hate on Jews. Anti-Semitism has real impact beyond just hate crimes. It distorts our understanding of how the actual world works. It isolates us. It alienates us from our communities, from our neighbors, and from participating in governance. It kills, but it also kills our society. In other words, anti-Semitism is the rare hatred that really destroys the hater. Rooting out anti-Semitic assumptions, then, is not simply necessary for the sake of the Jews, but for the sake of society itself. <clears throat> hey, everybody. Producer Robert here. Everyone else is out of the virtual office on vacation, so I'm going to try my best with the credits. Unorthodox is brought to you by Tablet Magazine on the web at tabletmag.com. Subscribe to our newsletter or send us your thoughts at unorthodox at tabletmag.com or call us 914-570-4869. Go to bit.ly slash unorthoshirt to find our unorthodox shirts, mugs, and onesies. Follow us on Instagram at unorthodoxpodcast or on Twitter at unorthodox underscore pod. Join our Facebook group. Our show is produced by Josh Cross and Sarah Fredman Ader. Our associate producer is Robert Scaramuccia. Our artwork is by Esther Werdiger. Our theme music is by Golem, online at golemrocks.com. Our mailbox theme is by Steve Barton. Cat supervision this week by Edith Isadora Cohen. Rabbinic supervision by Rabbi Dovid Beshevkin, and not because he's the only person I can think of right now. We come to you live from the scattered home offices of Tablet Studios. Shalom, friends. Shalom, friends.